also realized even through the development of the personal work with Give Me My Flowers that I am a healer, a woman who heals through this art, through this work. And so that was a role that I had to accept, a responsibility that I accepted. Welcome to the Zoom In Podcast. I'm Tamara, a creative director and commercial lifestyle photographer, the founder of Darden Creative, a full service content creation agency, and your host for the Zoom In Podcast, a podcast that highlights the stories and experiences of Black women photographers. A little housekeeping before we get into it. Please follow or subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And comments are currency, so please leave a comment on iTunes or rate the Zoom In Podcast on Spotify. You may just get a shout out on an upcoming episode. Hey, hey, y'all. I'm so happy to be back with another fresh episode of the Zoom In Podcast. This is the penultimate episode. There are six episodes this season. This is episode five. And I gotta say, I am so thankful to everyone who has been supporting this podcast. Thank you to everyone who has sent DMs, texts, emails, uh, just telling me how you enjoyed the podcast and how it makes you feel seen. So thank you so, so much. Today, I'm chatting with amazing wellness photographer, interior designer, and fine artist, Shakira Hunt. We talked a lot about how she transitioned from being a commercial designer for an architecture firm to becoming the founder and owner of Shakira Hunt Creative Studio. We also talk about the inspiration behind her beautiful body of work, Give Me My Flowers. Fun fact, Shakira is a former mentee of mine, and it's been amazing to see her growth after all of these years. So without further ado, here's Shakira Hunt. Shakira Hunt. <laughs> hey. Hey, thank you so much for coming on to the Zoom In podcast. I've been so happy to just be sitting on the sidelines and just watching your growth over the past three years. Mm-hmm. I just want to give you your flowers before we get into this episode or interview rather. So yeah, really, really, really proud. I'm a, I'm a proud mom. Yeah, you should, you should feel like a proud mom because I feel like you have just in so many beautiful ways, like inspired me, have literally given me like true structure, like formulas that work. And I have just been someone who has admired your journey who has admired your transparency, who has literally just been taking notes from the sidelines for the last, I would say, five years, because before the the full-time entrepreneurship, there was a side hustle that existed. And even with that, I still desired like, okay, what would this look like full-time? And how do you operate full-time? And before that happened, you know, I was just trying to figure that out. So yeah, I'm grateful for folks like yourself that have lived through these experiences and are so transparent with sharing things. Thank you so much. That that yeah. means a lot. You just moved to Philly recently. How has it been? I did. It's been great. I have literally just been in a space of openness and just this expansive mindset. So I'm ready to like dive into the things that are for me. I feel like Philly has always been a place that I needed to to kind of reside in. Mm-hmm. And because it was always so close to where I was from, you know, Wilmington, Delaware is like 30 minutes, 40 minutes drive. So it's always been easy to get to, but it's different being here. 
Yeah. And I felt like I just wanted to submerge myself in more of a creative and supportive environment that actually fed me on a consistent like level. Um, and so that's what needed to happen. But yeah. so far, so good. Yay. Yeah, I love, so far, I love so Philly. Good. I love me Philly. Too. Philly is a special place. It is a special place. It's a good, happy medium between the New Yorks and mm-hmm. the Baltimore DCs. Mm-hmm. Um, it also feels like London, which is also a place that I really desire to live mm-hmm. in. So I feel like this is my quick little dip before I make a jump. And then if I decide to come back to the United States, then I would know it would be Philly. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So mm-hmm. I know you are expanding and it's beautiful to see how that all plays out. But of course, we want to talk about the journey. So we're going to have to yeah. take we're going to have to take a few steps back if you don't mm-hmm. mind. So you have a background in interior design. You worked yeah. for several firms for about 4 years or so. Yeah, about mm-hmm. So let's go back to like 2018. So you're working for an interior design company. Mm-hmm. You're dabbling into photography, like as a hobby at this point, like reading your bio, you said that you felt unfulfilled. Yeah. So what was going through your mind back then at that time? I was feeling unfulfilled year one of post-graduation, like working full-time, doing construction documentation five days a week and just not feeling creatively fulfilled at all because there was no creativity in this design process. Construction documentation and construction admin are very like mundane kind of tasks. Like it's repetitive. It's a lot of coordination. You're following up with folks. You're literally managing a construction of a building. And so that is what happens after you design it and go through that like creative spark, if you will. And so because I had entered into this this position and kind of took on those roles, I didn't really get the chance to be part of much of the design work that I wanted to be. And so I started to feel like, okay, well, is this like a corporate job? This feels like a nine to five that is not giving me what I need. And even though design is a creative industry, it just didn't feel like that for me. And I don't know if it was just like the projects, the type of work that we were getting that just didn't give me that spark but it wasn't enough. And it was like, like I said, like year one into working full time that I realized that. And so at the time I started listening to podcasts, it was like part of my everyday routine. It was the Super Soul Sundays. It was the Side Hustle Pros. As I'm hearing other women share stories about their side hustles, I started to grow more interest in that. And like this idea and concept of juggling some kind of hobby that you're earning income off of, and then also working a nine to five job. So because I had already, like my system was in place, my fitness life was intact. I felt like I was good there. So now the work life is like, okay, this is every day. This is just to pay my bills. That, that, that became more, you know, of uh, like the system that I was okay with following. And then as I start listening to these side hustle stories, I'm just like, okay, something is, there's something deeper here that I feel like I can tap into, especially if it means I can earn extra money because these student loans aren't going to pay themselves Mm -hmm. and they had already kicked in. So that was my goal. Like, how do I earn extra money? How do I not cap myself? And so I'd heard a podcast specifically from Oprah and I don't know who the guest was, but they said something about diving back into your childhood and remembering what excited, like what excited you back then? Like what was the most exciting thing that you desired to do as a child? That's what your true passion is. 
And so for me, I was like, okay, this is a really good, deep, reflective moment. Let me think about this. And I just distinctly always remember that it was either being a designer or a photographer. Like I literally said as a child, I can't wait to be an adult because I want to be a photographer living in New York City. That was my thing. Things look a little bit different nowadays, but that was something I was like, okay, let me tap back into that. Bought like a T2I Rebel and it was like super, super starter, but I had no idea how to work a DSLR. So that was like my first introduction. And so I literally took that and ran with it. I just experimented on people, family, friends. I YouTubed everything because I had no idea how to operate this thing in the best capacity. Shout out YouTube University. Shout out YouTube University for real. Um, Because yeah, (laughs) I was up late nights, like in between um, meetings at work, just learning and listening to other stories. And then as that became like a consistent thing in my life, I, I just wanted to learn more and more and also see what worked for other photographers, whether they were full-time or they were side hustling. And so that's really where it started. It started one year into design, one year working for this architecture firm, realizing that this wasn't enough. So I had side hustled it for the two years that I worked for that firm. Then I transitioned to another design firm that was more healthcare specific. Mm -hmm. And I very quickly realized that I was not a healthcare designer. And so from that, that's when I realized the connection of, or kind of like niching myself or at least having a desired field within the photography industry that I knew I wanted to work with business to business. I knew that I wanted to work specifically with brands because I felt like there was such a disconnect, even in the architectural and design industry of how folks were represented. And that was one thing that I wanted to change, even for the firms that I work for, but they weren't really hearing me. And they weren't because I was an employee that they were paying to do construction drawings and, you know, CA and, designing and all of those things. So that was my primary task and priority. And it wasn't until I just, I didn't want to prioritize it anymore. I didn't want to compromise that side of me anymore. And I was just completely honest with my boss at the time and mentioned to her that this wasn't fulfilling to me. And if she had found a designer that was passionate about this work, she should find her because I just wasn't it. And so she took that and fired me and then literally hired me to do their branding imagery a year later. The architecture firm, though, has been a consistent client of mine since I left them. Repeat Repeat work, guys. I feel like that's going to be the second running theme in all of the photographers that. Yeah. And I'm calling in more of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Calling in more of that. You don't have to do as much active marketing when you are making sure that the current clients you have are happy. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So 2019. So now Mm -hmm. you are doing photography solo dolo, meaning you're doing this full time. Mm -hmm. I remember in 2014, like when I left from my full time job, like there was Mm -hmm. (laughs) there wasn't a plan A or a plan B. Yeah, I had cushion. I had cushion for like eight months. I cashed out my 401k and my pension. I don't recommend that for anyone. But and I didn't. I did the same. <laughs> I didn't listen. You use what you what you got. You gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta do what you gotta yep. do. Um, and I didn't launch starting creative until two years later, mm-hmm. the 2016. So there there was no plan B. Plan A had to work. Did you have a plan B or was photography the plan A once you left your full Yeah, time? plan B in a sense was definitely that if I if I had to go back into the design industry that I could. 
because I I'm such a networky person. I, I keep talking to folks about this because it really is like it, it does excite me. But I love connecting with new people. And even as a designer, that was such a huge priority for me. Like from my internship experience, I built really beautiful, solid relationships that still exist now. Even though I don't practice design as much, mm -hmm. it still is part of my business practice. And so those relationships still need to be maintained. I still need to be connected to the design community. I still need to know what's going on. I still need to be aware of trends. I still need to do all of these things to keep that, you know, afloat. It was always just about knowing who's who and who does what, you know what I'm saying? So my plan B was going back into the design world if photography experimentation and freelance did not work. And did knowing you... that I could, I could easily get something if I needed to. Yeah. Did you feel like the transition into doing photography full-time was made softer because you had built this network, this community? Because I see on Instagram, mm -hmm. I see on Instagram, that sounds so cheesy. I see I on know. Instagram that you've really built a really strong extended network of just a lot of different people across yeah. a lot of different industries. And I'm wondering if now that you bring it up about networking, I'm wondering if that made your transition into photography, doing that full time, a little bit softer, a little bit it easier. It did help. Yeah, because I took those same ideals and transitioned them into this side of work. Just as passionate and excited I was about knowing who did what in the design world, I did the same thing as soon as I went into freelance. Like that was one of my first priorities. I literally like distinctly remember for the first like two or three months, just meeting with people, you know, having coffee dates, checking out mm -hmm. who did what, like getting to know other photographers that were directly in my community so that we can learn who we, who we are and leverage each other. Mm -hmm. you know, it was never about like a competition thing for me. It was about, okay, you're specifically doing music videos. Great. That's not my sector. But if I know somebody, I'm going to pass them along to you. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know what I do specifically now that I'm identifying that branding and lifestyle is what I like to do. I want to be known as that. And I am from Wilmington. Like folks know, oh, Shakira branding. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Being able to distinctly like identify what I do and knowing who I am for that is what my whole entire goal was. And it just took time and consistency to build it. Yeah. Speaking of time and consistency, the first couple of years when you were doing this full time, or maybe it was a couple of months, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe you were able to bring in a substantial amount of money in order to sustain yourself. But if you could not at the time, were there any activities that you did in order to make sure you're still paying your bills? And I'm not asking this yeah. to be nosy. So like mm -hmm. if people are listening, like there are, I feel like there is a subsect of people who are like, I want to do this full time. I see that, you know, Shakira is doing this full time. Tamara is doing this full time. How are they doing it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no, that's a real you know, question. You know, I think I'm asking from that point of view to be like, guys, unless you have a substantial savings, you got to go to work. 
you know, like there's, there's distance (laughs) between, you know, there's distance between saying, okay, I'm going to do this full time. And then the second point being, okay, now I'm making enough in order to say I am doing that. This is the only thing that I'm doing. Yeah. So, I mean, beautiful question because I think that's definitely the thought that we all have before going into this thing full time. Um, How do we sustain? And that's always a conversation that I have, but you have to make that a priority. Like it is not a choice. (laughs) You have to make this money because you have to survive and you have to pay your bills, period, point blank. So as long as you show up and here's part of, here's the faith part, (laughs) because you don't always know and you don't always have to have a plan or know what the fuck the next step, sorry. <laughs> you don't know what the next step is going to be. So it takes an, an enormous amount of faith and also aligning yourself with the right systems and tools that will allow you to get the visibility you need in order to, to get the next client. And building enough reputation and rep, like rapport with folks that they will hire you again, that they'll recommend you, all of those things play a role in a factor. I did not have a cushion as much as I desired because, like I said, I had listened to those podcasts and every single one of these, not everyone's story was the same, but the majority of them recommended like having X amount of money saved and five times your rent or whatever the case. And I didn't have any of that. I had withdrawn my 401k. I don't think I did that until like six months in because it just took a while to process and do. And I didn't have a lot of money because like I said, I worked full time for Mm -hmm. like four years right Mm -hmm. out of school. So it wasn't like I had this grand 20k, 30k, you know, withdrawal. It wasn't that at all. So that's why I felt okay enough to like take it out anyway, because it really wasn't as much. Like eventually I can make it back. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because of that, I just knew I needed to prioritize knowing that this was the only this was the only thing right now. I wasn't planning on falling back on anything else. I didn't pick up a side job. I didn't pick up a serving job. Those were all thoughts that I that came to my mind. But I just wanted to have I wanted and this was a privilege too, because at the time I had a partner who was working full time, who was the backup, basically. You know, Mm -hmm. he was the person that was working full time on a consistent basis, making enough that we could both live off of, even though I was still generating my own money. It started to pick up after a while, like the first two to three months was full experimentation, you know, just getting to know who people were, just putting myself out there, literally branding myself, like focusing on what that looked like, you know, creating a website, getting a business license. And then I think that was up until March of 2019, 20. Yeah, 2019, March, April, I went to Paris, got engaged, we came back. So then it was like hitting the ground running on all of the things. I think May was the first month that I had made my my first 5K in a month, which that was something that I had to identify, like, what do I need to make in order to survive? And how do I consistently market myself in this way and create these systems? Shout out to Tamara for the systems, because (laughs) (laughs) maybe those systems still exist today. (laughs) And, you know, now I'm getting to a point of restructuring what that looks like, Mm -hmm. because I feel like I've reached a certain point that I feel like I want to create a different experience. And again, you are somebody that I look to for that guidance that has just been able to put forth these different formulas together that work. And why recreate the wheel when things work to an extent? You know what I'm saying? I think people always need to recreate their own wheels Mm -hmm. indefinitely, but there are just things that work. 
Thank you for the shout outs. <laughs> hair flip, curly hair flip. hair flip. <laughs> um, was there a myth or maybe there were several that you realized that wasn't true once you became a full-time photographer? Honestly, I think the only myth that I was telling myself that I realized was just not the case. Shit is not always sweet. Hmm. Entrepreneur mm-hmm. life is not always sweet. It's not cute all the time. Can you share some moments of, of yeah. unsweetness? Yeah, unsweetness looks like not knowing when your next project is going to come in. It looks like your funds getting low and you're not sure how quickly they're going to replenish. Having imposter syndrome, feeling like, am I worthy of this? Are people going to support me? Do people like the work that I do? All of those thoughts come into play. It was extremely important going in knowing that I had to build community. Because that is definitely a structure that you need and you need to be able to lean on folks, even who aren't in your industry of work, but folks that you can just talk to because things do get hard and you have to literally figure it out. I'm someone in my family who was the first to do this work, to, you know, step into full-time entrepreneurship. I went to art school. I am like the black sheep of my family because I did all of the things that were opposite of everybody else and have been proven to be the most fruitful in this work. Like, honestly, like happy in the work that I do, have been able to sustain myself for this long and continue to do so. All of those things, you just have to work against it and be against the grain in a sense. Um, But for me, it was like, shit is not always sweet. It's not cute all the time. It's not always going to the cute coffee shops and working all day. Yeah, life looks like that. 75% of the time, but there are also moments when I'm like, I'm not going to spend this money because if I keep buying these coffees, (laughs) you know, that's digging into other things and Mm -hmm. it adds up, you know? So it's just knowing that it's not always sweet, but you, you can create that sweetness in different ways. Yeah. When was the moment when you said, this feels really good. I'm happy with the direction of where this business is going. I'm not robbing Peter to pay Paul. I I know the moment specifically for me, it Mm -hmm. was, it was year three (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, I'm not going to go back to a part-time job ever again. So when was that moment for you? I kind of knew it year one, maybe the first six months, because at that point I was like, I was confident. I also burned myself out too with this. So I had, that was a lesson learned and Burnout kind of happens here and there because I do a lot of different things, but I did know definitively like after the first six months that this was, this was it and that I don't have the desire to return back to a traditional full-time job. I didn't desire to work for anybody else besides the folks that I, you know, <laughs> that become my clients because they align with the work and mission that I, you know, set forth. So yeah, I would say it was year six because, or um, month six, year one, this was manifested. I remember in 2018, maybe 2017, driving home from New York after visiting a friend who I would, you know, go and visit often. I was still working full time, but I had such a strong curiosity about what freelance life was and how artists in New York were able to survive and still create and do what they wanted to do. Yes, they might have worked a couple of jobs because living in New York, you just that's just the reality for most people but still like focusing on their art. And I was so curious about this. Like, how do people do it? What are they doing? And I remember recording myself on the way home. Like, I am going to be a working artist. I am going to have some kind of grant. There's got to be some kind of grant out there in the world that will allow me to 
just live and work on my my craft. Like just allow me to do the things that I want to do on my time. And I recorded that then knowing that or not knowing that this was going to be my life now, but knowing at the same time that this had to be something I had to tap into. Like, what is this? How do I do it? How do I get closer to it? And then it just happened. So essentially like following the breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. If I had to look back on my journey, it's the same thing. Yeah. Just thinking about college, like I remember my thesis senior year, we had to write out, you know, where do we see ourselves 10 years from now? Which it's like, (laughs) (laughs) but one of the things (laughs) that I wrote is I'm going to be a creative director. I remember Mm -hmm. that specifically. I remember I was like, having a a down day and I still had this book and I was flipping through it and it said, yeah, I will be a creative director. Yeah. Specifically for a magazine. And, but I interned for magazines and realized that's not right. Right. You don't, you don't get paid. It wasn't it. That wasn't it. But in terms Uh of creative direction, that is literally what I'm doing today. For anyone that's listening, sometimes you don't have to look that far to really figure out what it is that you're meant to be doing and what really is going to set your heart on fire. Literally, it can just be underneath your nose or just really reconnecting as a woman, reconnecting to what brought you joy as a kid. You know, like I used to make Barbie doll clothes. I used to build airplanes and houses for my Barbie dolls out of cardboard. I would pretend like I was on a reality show. Yes. You know, like those are (laughs) all things that. (laughs) And how much fun we had. Like we lived our best lives. <laughs> no, like I want to go bills. back to that joy, that level of joy. Right. And like, obviously know? work is not always <laughs> hunky dory, but when I think about what my life looks like now, it is exactly where I need to be no. today. I know that I've, I've said this several times in this interview, but your business has evolved so much since the last, since the first time we met. Yeah. Which was 2019 mm-hmm. when I was still I so. still a coach. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm noticing that you have more of a focus specifically in the wellness space. Yeah. Like I know you've done like a collaboration with Girl Trek and a few other mm-hmm. uh wellness specific entities. And you know yeah. I love you you know I love a niche. Was focusing on the wellness space like a natural progression for you as you were progressing like on your own wellness journey or was it the other way around? Absolutely. It was, ironically, I think I realized the wellness space was going to be my next kind of focus and that it was starting to be the next thing, like the niche when pandemic happened, naturally, everyone, healthcare providers, facilitators, practitioners, all of these folks needed to rebrand and restructure in some kind of capacity, especially because it was such a need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, taking care of ourselves, whatever that looks like was starting to be prioritized. But I think that's when it was amplified was in the pandemic year. And I went with the shift. I've always prioritized my wellness journey. I've always figured out what that looked like for me and just started to rebuild, you know, new tactics, modalities that helped me heal. And they all kind of simultaneously overlapped and just kind of were in synchronicity with one another. So it was a natural progression for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, One complemented the other, (laughs) one needed to exist for the other to exist. And I just went with it. 
And it's confirmation that that's the space that I need to navigate. I also realized even through the development of the personal work with Give Me My Flowers that I am a healer, a woman who heals through this art, through this work. And so that was a role that I had to accept, a responsibility that I accepted upon the creation of it and now the development of it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so happy you brought up Give Me My Flowers because I love it so, so much. So, Thank so much. You. It's become like a traveling exhibit at yeah. this point, right? Yeah. So it's shown in Delaware. Has it shown in Philly? It did show in Philly. That was the second solo exhibition, okay. like right after the first. And then recently, Essence Festival in New Orleans, you mm-hmm. released a book as well. Yes. So just like share with the audience, what exactly is the Give Me My Flowers exhibition? And like, how mm-hmm. did the concept come about and materialize? Yeah. Give Me My Flowers literally started out as experimentation and play. I tell this the same story to everyone. Um, it was pandemic year. Everyone's on lockdown and we're which, all just like. Which year? The 2020. Okay. <laughs> yes, because yes, things still lingered. <laughs> um, and it, you're right, got to be specific. So 2020, I think it was maybe end of May, early June. And this was also in the heat of George Floyd. There were a lot of emotions going on, a lot of sadness, a lot of grief, a lot of anger, and a lot of uncertainty with how we all showed up in this world. And because of COVID and everyone being on lockdown, I just felt this urge to create and respond in creativity and not knowing what to do or say, you know, when we experience these public lynchings and killings, like, but just knowing that there was a deeper narrative that needed to be shared and told. And I, I wanted to play a, a, a part in that. Give Me My Flowers, the idea really was supposed to be a video. And it was supposed to be a video of Black men. In my mind, how I visualized this was them like standing in a street lined up one by one. And this visual of them like slowly trickling down. And I don't know what the story was. I didn't know how this was supposed to be developed. I just saw that and called on my friends and was like, let's have a meeting. Let's talk about how we can create this and have this be a response to what's going on. It didn't happen in that way. And so the idea just kind of went to fade. But one of my other friends who was part of that conversation, we had already wanted to work with each other. He's like into creative direction and wanted to experiment with some things. And I said, let's just go outside and play. Let's just start there. For me, I was, you know, already experimenting with household things outside, bringing the outside in or the inside out, bringing household items, bringing fabrics into play and just, you know, playing around with those elements. They, I feel like were things that existed in my design side. And so I wanted to like somehow merge the two with photography. So that's literally what we did. I grabbed the seamless roll that was like extra and leftover that I crumbled up because I was like, let's play with this crumbled paper and see what that does. And we went to this basketball court that looks like a tennis court also, which was also divinely aligned because in itself gave certain juxtapositions of the Black man's experience. And then also him, you know, being photographed with this very softness that that existed for him and his own vulnerabilities and things like that. We went to the basketball court, set up, put all the items in the set and just let it go. We just kind of flowed, let whatever came to us come. And it wasn't until I was posting the content that we had shot on Instagram that I came up with the title of the work. And 
I started to really look at the work actually for the first time, started to analyze it, like just thinking of a caption. Okay, what am I going to say? And I started looking at this work and I said, wow, that's really dope that this Black man is so secure in his feminine energy and also very masculine presenting, very strong, very secure. You know, I feel like men don't get this privilege. Mm-hmm. And I started to just talk that out to myself as I'm typing the caption. And, and then I said, you know, what better way do we honor someone than to give them their flowers? I felt like Black men needed to be honored and seen in that way because they haven't. Or it wasn't uh, a thing that was just a norm. Um, and that's how the series started. It, it's, it's literally built from honoring Black men through their masculine and feminine energy. And so because it started with them, I wanted to show different types of men different um, forms of sexuality, different experiences. And ironically, all seven men that I photographed, I had some level of a relationship with, not like romantically, but you know, I just had watched them, admired their work. They were all artists. And so even within that, they had already been tapped into that divine feminine. Mm-hmm. So it was easy for them to pull that out. And it just, it structured itself. It really did. I developed that work over eight months, nine months until it was invited officially to have its first solo exhibition at the Delaware Contemporary. I was still building the work when it was invited. So I had to finish. I was like, okay, well, this the series can't finish without this one element. So let me make sure that that's captured. And then I thought, okay, well, because I'm such a think big bitch, you know, um, this can't end here. This is not just going to be a regular exhibition. This needs to be a whole experience. And my designer side was tapped in. And I'm like, okay, well, I need this kind of space and I want a visual that goes along with this. And so the people just came together and that's how it started. The power of community. I feel like there are so many lessons or threads that you can pull from that. I feel like it is a culmination of all of your talents Mm -hmm. wrapped into one project. Yeah. You know, listening to your intuition and the importance of play, you know, I feel like a lot of times we like to think of the end result before Mm -hmm. we decide whether or not we want to do something now. If we can't monetize it, if we can't go viral with it, if we can't quantify the impact, then it's just not worth doing. And I think that sharing you know, your your experience with the Give Me My Flowers exhibition just shows the importance of play and the yes. importance of doing something without the inta- the attachment of, will my ego be stroked? Yeah. Will I make more money? That has to go out the window, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't even move freely in that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you can't allow the the God's work to happen, the service work because that is truly like a piece of my service work. Like I think that professionally and just being able to do this on a commercial level is still service work because we are actively doing this entrepreneurial work, which is all within us. Mm -hmm. But that is work that needed to be shared amongst people for them. Not so much me. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely rooted in my own healing journey and like practices. And I started to recognize and unfold those as the series developed. I'm still developing it. Like there are still things that like I've moved on from the masculine side. Now I'm shifted to the feminine because I need to address these mother wounds, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and through my work, I'm able to do that with other women so that they can heal. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, it's it's beautiful to see. Did you expect the reception <laughs> to be what it is today? I be honest. I be don't honest. know. I I didn't really think that it was. I, I didn't have the intentions of the the series itself to have a show. I didn't have the intentions of it having the reception in this capacity. Um, but I knew it needed to happen. You know, I mm-hmm. I don't know the particulars, but I just knew that the work couldn't be seen just as a regular standard exhibition. This was not just going to be work on a wall and people come in and dissect and have conversation. There were bigger things that needed to exist, like real programming, you know? And because I knew that right off the bat, like I started to prioritize, okay, well, what does writing a grant look like? That's when I started to get into the grant writing space of like figuring out how do I create this thing that I'm still developing and creating like I don't know the, the answers but I had to go through all of the different variables to recognize what I actually needed in order to sustain and to be a and to be a traveling show you know mm-hmm. what does something like this cost what are the materials that I'm going to need what what do those things cost you know um, programming who do I need to hire to facilitate different things because I want this to be such an expansive experience like knowing that you're going to come and see works but also you're going to take uh, take part in um, a gardening workshop specifically for Black men, but open to all genres, knowing that you can come and have yoga because Black men don't get to prioritize their, mm-hmm. their mental health and their well-being. You can um, come in for this panel discussion because we need to build community and awareness around this and, and chop down on these ideals that don't really serve us or work for us as a collective. You know, it's not necessarily just an attack on Black men, but even as women, we need to restructure how we show up and support and also nurture us so that we can be better collectively. Thank you for doing that work, too. I mean, it's it's been really great to see how it is developing Mm -hmm. and how it's just not this one and done type thing. It it probably is. Would you consider it like one of your life's work at this point? Indefinitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to lean more into that. Like, mm-hmm. I love being able to practice photography full time and it sustained me. But giving my flowers is also presenting so much fruitfulness that I want to lean more into that work. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming its own entity. You know, it's becoming its its own business structure. So I'm trying to still restructure Shakira Hunt Creative Studio, but then also allow this thing to bloom you know, in the way that it should. Sometimes I fight with either or because it's like I spend my time here, but I also need to spend my time in this space too. And it is not easy because all sorts of things come up, you know, insecurity comes up all the time. I just was talking to my creative business partner about this. And sometimes I will get so inspired and ignited to do one element or focus on one element and give me my flowers. And then it goes away because I have to shift my energy and time into the other stuff that earns me a living, you know, right what, away. <laughs> what's the what's the insecurity though? I actually want yeah. to hear more about this. So what's um, the insecurity you think? The insecurity, which is so interesting because this just happened. Is the work that is being seen really being digested or will it become something that becomes so trendy? And and this goes to the name, Give Me My Flowers. It is not my statement. I did not create that. This is a statement that people have used for many, 
like for years, you know, this is a part of our life. We've all recognized that folks need to be honored in different ways. And that is the expansive expansiveness of that statement alone. But I started to feel recently, more specifically, the, the term itself, like I was just not inspired by in a way, like I kept, it's so buzzwordy now that I started to feel like, dang, do I need to change the name of the series? Or how do I make this feel so separate and different, even though it already is so separate and different, because it is focusing on different sectors of our lived experience that then comes together as a collective. But I really started to feel like, oh, man, I'm so tired of seeing this or hearing people say it. Like, how do I shift it in my own practice? You don't don't want want the message to be lost. Yeah. You don't want the message to be lost. That's a real thing that I've been feeling Mm. lately. Just how do I shift? How do I do I shift? Or do I hold strong? Like the series name is what it is. It's giving my flowers the series. So it's an ongoing experience. You know what I mean? It's not just with one element. It's multiple. multiple. And I want to be expansive in that way. Like I want to think about it in many layers because it is. It's just being able to lean into the work at this point and not getting so wrapped up in the particulars because I have seen the success of what this can be and knowing what it could be. It's like, these expectations are starting to form before I even create the work. And I don't want that, you know, I want to, I want to tap in more into the work. And I, now it's just a matter of starting. I was talking about this on Instagram stories the other day when I was thinking about who is going to be the focus for the zoom in podcast. Mm -hmm. And if it was going to be women or women of color or black women. And I said, black women, Because I think there is importance in the preservation of the stories of the Black experience. Absolutely. going further, it's important that Black people are in charge of the preservation of the stories of the Black experience. And so when you take away, (laughs) I totally understand the give me my flowers and how it's used so much. Your work is still the purpose of preservation of Black stories and the Black experience. Yeah. That's the mission. So therefore, it can never be watered down. Right. Right. Because that is the mission. That is the purpose. That is what this or anything that we do is in service of. It's making sure that our stories are heard and that they're protected. And I think no one can take that away from you. They can't take that that away from me. It's that protectiveness. The protection aspect is is delicate, you Mm -hmm. know, because you know, there is a knowing that no one can recreate this work the way that I do it. And Mm -hmm. you have to be really confident in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am. And then there's this other element that says, well, somebody could take part of that narrative and spin it and make it their own. For instance, I came across just recently, um, Femit Forward is doing a Give Her Her Flowers gala. And I said, oh my God, this is part of the growing legs of Give Me My Flowers because a year ago, my business partner and I had a conversation about how do we continue the conversations? And he said, you should honor Black women in business and give them their flowers. And I said, yes, of course, I'm going to do that a year ago. (laughs) And so now seeing, again, this collective bubble of ideas that happens, you think something and somehow it gets birthed into the universe Mm -hmm. and not from you in the way that you thought you were, you know? So that experience, I had to check myself on because this wasn't about me. It was about honoring Black women, period. And however that needs to be done is how we're going to do it. So if that's a collective effort, that's what it is. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so there was an ego check that had to happen uh, and it's still happening because it's it, it is in a sense, very, very personal work simultaneously that happened with this Planned Parenthood collaboration, which was so perfectly timed. I was approached from Instagram from a woman who's followed the work saying, hey, I'm the creative director of Planned Parenthood. Would you be interested in partnering with us for Essence Fest? Simple as that. Like you just don't know who's watching. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beauty of the work when you're just steadfast and you are just doing it, Mm -hmm. not for any kind of initial gain, but just doing that work because it's real, Mm -hmm. you know, and these are experiences that do deserve healing in time. Mm -hmm. And I was literally just trying to figure out how I'm going to celebrate the one year for giving my flowers. And that's what was presented to me. So like this ability to think big is so real because we can cap ourselves not knowing the unknowns. Mm -hmm. God was like, oh no, you're not going to do a brunch. There's no silent auction that's going to (laughs) happen. In my mind, I was like celebrating. Okay, that means brunch, have a silent auction, maybe try to sell the work that's left over. And God was like, no, you're going to do a collaboration with Planned Parenthood and it's going to be during Essence Fest. Wild. Think big, bitch. (laughs) If that ain't the word of the century, (laughs) the statement, listen. (laughs) You are a queen manifester. So where do you see yourself this time next year? This time next year, I see very big things for giving my flowers. I really do. You know, I'm planting seeds, building new relationships with people, even in Philadelphia um, now, even outside of Philly. I knew that the show needed to be in major cities. And so now it's just about pushing and prioritizing what that looks like and being able Mm -hmm. to shop it, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, putting my documents together, my pitch deck, um, connecting and building relationships with other galleries, getting this show outside of my immediate scope Mm -hmm. and being able to host in a different place in a different country. So that's like where I am prioritizing this now. Yeah. Take it to London and Paris. Yes, exactly. This was an inspiring conversation, Shakira. I definitely have taken some nuggets for myself and some things that I need to do. Before we part ways, please tell people how they can find you and learn more about Give Me My Flowers. Yeah. So folks can find me on Instagram primarily at Studio. Give Me My Flowers has its own Instagram page, which is GiveMeMyFlowers.theseries. I also have a website, so you can find me at ShakiraHunt.com. I'm super transparent. I love answering questions. And again, this is collective. You know, this isn't about me. It's not about you. It's, it's all of us. All right, girl. Thank you yeah. so much. No problem. Thank you so much for Tamara for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, my dear. <laughs> This wraps up another edition of the Zoom In Podcast, a podcast that highlights the stories and experiences of Black women photographers. First, thank you for listening. And if you like what you've heard, please share with your crew. And second, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify so you don't miss out on the next episode.